Welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast, powered by Kevin Grogan Soccer, Soccer Coffee and much more. Delighted to have Paul Smith on the line with us from Dublin. Paul um, worked for the FAI for many, many years as the Football Association of Ireland. He's heavily been involved in, in many different sports, particularly soccer and played himself in Virginia. Paul, thanks for coming on the line today. Hiya, Kevin. How are you? How's all the listeners out there as well? Uh, season's greetings to, to all. Thanks, Paul. So, Paul, tell us a bit about your story, particularly um, how you got involved with the Football Association of Ireland. Well, Kevin, it was uh, back in the late 90s uh, when I came back from sort of traveling traveling abroad, uh, which included college, obviously, as you, as you said, in the States as well. Um, it was an opportunity where the Football Association had uh, just employed uh, or were looking to employ uh, development officers, which was a huge step for the association at the time. Uh, obviously, um, the GAA, uh, which is our national sports here, Gaelic football, uh, hurling, uh, girls, uh, well, ladies football and camogie. It's our national sport and, and one we're, we're sort of proud of as well because it originated obviously in Ireland and it's it's a very Irish sport which complements obviously uh, soccer and rugby and all the other sports as well. And I suppose the association at the time saw what the GAA had, uh, the empire that they were sort of building on the grounds at grassroots level and developing the game, uh, the national games. And I suppose the rugby were to follow uh, as well uh, with certain development officers in, in different areas of, of the country as well. Obviously, Ireland is broken up into um, the Republic of Ireland would be Connacht, uh, Leinster and uh, Munster, uh, the different the three provinces in the Republic. And uh, they, uh, the FAI employed uh, development officers in each of these provinces. And uh, thankfully, I was lucky enough to, uh, to get one of the positions uh, in the Leinster area, which would be at that time and probably still is probably uh, where uh, obviously the capital Dublin being in Leinster. Uh, would be a hotbed for, for Irish soccer. Now, you've seen, Paul, the development of players for many, many years. And, you know, Ireland has gone through phases of producing some great, great players. At the moment, there seems to be a bit of a dip in player production. Is, is there anything that you feel is causing that? Is it is it because the other sports you mentioned are doing so well and more of our better athletes are going towards them sports? Um. Well, it's funny you, you kick off with some some very good players in the past, and and, uh, and yourself, Kevin. In fairness to yourself, where you were part of a you were part of a, a group a group of young men at the time uh, in the nineties, the mid nineties, that were hugely hugely successful in European Championships, and maybe you, you'll you'll talk a little bit about that yourself a little bit uh, later in the interview as well. Um, crop of players came through uh, through your age groups there, and just after you as well. Now, obviously, again, you can't put your finger on one particular thing that causes the, the issues we have. There are issues. Issues sometimes can be deemed a strong word, but there are issues. Um, and the issues, uh, I, like I remember, as I said to you, well, I was one of probably five or six development officers at the time. So including Brian Kerr, who was my boss at the time, he was the technical director and a great visionary in, in the coach, uh, Noel O'Reilly, uh, who passed away 10 years ago, um, only this uh, last October there, uh, October gone. Uh, Noel, as I said, and Brian, they were visionaries. 
And you had Brian and Noel managing. Yeah, I mean, I was very lucky, Paul, to have Brian Kerr and Noel O'Reilly as my coaches. And as you said, they were definitely visionaries. Um, what was it like working with them and, and what kind of energy levels did they have and, and how did that kind of breed to success on and off the field of, of player development? Uh, hugely influential, Kevin. And I think that goes back to the original uh, question you asked me um, in relation to unearthing players, I suppose. Uh, I'm definitely not saying in a negative way that these players are not being unearthed. Um, they, they, I'm sure they are. Uh, but I, I think the levels uh, that the, the lads and Brian and the level of detail, and, and you would have experienced this as a player with them, their attention to detail was, was second to none. Um, I, a very quick example I always remember, we had a team away and uh, it, it was the game against the Spanish um, in the, it would have been the early noughties uh, basically. And uh, I always remember Brian, Brian got word that and Noel got word that there was a, it was a, a posse being sent from the Spanish camp to have a look at what the Irish are doing in their training sessions. And to cut a long story really short, Brian said, when these lads arrive, we're, we're going to play, which, as I said to you, our national sport, Gaelic football. Uh, so it was really, really funny to see um, uh, about three or four Spaniards appear uh, on a reconnaissance mission to see our training session, uh, but only to be disappointed and, and looking very, uh, very forlorn, looking at something uh, called a Gaelic football match, uh, break into it with Brian and Noel. As I said, there were just simple things and just different little things, very quick on their feet, thinking quick on their feet on different things. That was just a funny one uh, where, as I said, the training session broke up into, into a game of Gaelic football and the Spanish went home after about 10 minutes, uh, not knowing uh, anything more about the Irish setup, only that the Irish were a bit mad. Uh, but Brian and Noel were... They'd unearth a player. They'd, they'd pick players for specific games. Uh, they were very, very uh, competent in that, uh, picking the right players. When other people probably would have been raising eyebrows, uh, Brian and Noel picked teams for the occasion, shall we say. Pretty much nine times out of ten, it worked very, very well. Yeah, I mean, I have a great memory of myself, obviously, uh, you know, playing under both of them. And I think what they were able to do was they could see something in a player, a young player that maybe someone else wouldn't see and they'd be able to nurture that. And they'd also have the foresight to be patient with players, knowing that, you know, the end game also was was to produce players for the, the senior international team. And they obviously, you know, through that crop came John O'Shea and Damien Duff and Robbie Keane so, so, and, and many more, Richard Dunn, so many... Uh, you know, real world-class player. So so you were very hands-on back then, um, Paul, and I know we've talked a lot uh, over the years about kind of production of players and, and how to develop players. You know, where are we at now in Ireland or in terms of where do you feel um, the best way is to develop players? I think, Kevin, we have to come up with a superior academy structure. Um, now, that costs money. Uh, do we have money? Yes, we have money. Uh, we have to redirect money, unfortunately, into these areas to develop these uh, these players going forward. Uh, the other sports, uh, if you said, are they taking players from us? Uh, they probably are in certain pockets of Ireland where other sports are a bit stronger, maybe, and whatever. But by and large, I think we have to improve our product at the level we're talking, um, at the grassroots level. Um, and I think academies linked in to our Aircom there, well, to the, the it is now the SSE, Electricity League, uh, the... Um, the, the, the actual main adult league um, are, we have the Premier Division and the First Division and it is imperative to uh, link academies to these clubs 
to produce uh, players into our own League of Ireland first as well. I think, unfortunately, Kevin, we're so close to England and the Premiership and the bright lights, it sometimes can be a little bit difficult to, um, you know... Get, yeah, and get for, for our listeners, Paul, a lot of our best talent will go to England at 15 or 16, kind of similar to what I did, which there's obviously pros and cons of that. My opinion is you, you should go a bit later when you're a bit more physically and mentally developed. Where do you stand with that? Yeah, well, I think, Kevin, it's like everything. And, and again, it's very it's it's very apt. Uh, you, you put a word uh, like mental maturity. I think what well, I, I remember a stat now, I would be open to correction on it, but I think I'd be writing saying that, oh, just over, I, I think it was 0-1, season, um, that there was just over 300 um, kids, uh, young players from, from Ireland uh, were touted within England. Uh, England, England, Scotland and Wales uh, as in they were invited over maybe to have a trial or they, they, they were invited over to maybe do something a little bit a little bit more and maybe sign up in the long term as well with different clubs and I, I think um, I think the, I think the stat that came back there was only one or two signed with lower league clubs that year uh, so that's a frightening stat uh, you know as I said I'm, I would be open to correction on that but it was at the time when I worked in the technical department of the association so you would be sort of close enough to uh, to hear little uh, you know tidbits like that as you go but to be very honest with you, I think the academy structure has worked really well in the rugby sense on, in, in our country. And obviously we're seeing uh, under their 20s, we're seeing, um, we're seeing our senior side uh, develop in such a way that we are creating, uh, in, in, again, in, in, in our rugby academies here through the Leinster Rugby, Munster Rugby and Connacht Rugby and Ulster Rugby as well up in, up in Northern Ireland uh, as well. What we're doing is we're actually seeing now uh, you know, one, two, and three players uh, being developed for each position on the field also. Uh, the one thing that gets me, Kevin, as well, and maybe some of your listeners, uh, a lot of your listeners probably would be aware of this too, I, I find, what I find absolutely amazing to develop and to, I, I would always think uh, an Irish kid, we should be pushing them to the Shamrock Rovers, to the Bohemians, to the Bray Wanderers, to the Derry Cities, Dundalks, Corks, and sorry if I haven't mentioned, I haven't got time to mention every club, but every club in the country. Uh, we, we need to be pushing our youngsters and make their local club the first port of call for them, the club that they want to, I would love to play on that pitch. I would love to play in Daly Mount Park, a historical pitch in the middle of Dublin City. That's Bohemians' ground. And that's what we should be trying to aim for in the country as well. What I find quite bizarre is, is that players, different players, and, and Sean McGuire is a, is a young kid from, played really, really, had a couple of tremendous seasons with Cork City. He signed up with Preston. Robbie Horgan, the same from Dundalk. Uh, they went off and signed. Um, and the other chap from uh, the young Towel as well, Richie Towel, went over as well across the water. And I find this bizarre, Kevin. Uh, they were never picked in an Irish senior squad, even for friendly games, even to be part of the squad, even to give that that positive marketing spin to uh, football in this country as well, to see League of Ireland players make that next step uh, into international football. Yes, they might not be this, they might have premiership, and, but our Irish soccer team is never based on they're all in the premiership. They're in, in Division 1, they're in Division 2, uh, some are even in Division Three, 
uh, of football in England as well. Now, what I'm saying is, though, is about the guys I'm just mentioned, the three lads I mentioned there. Um, uh, Sean McGuire, I think, was the last, and I, I did, well, again, would be home to correction, but I, I think he was only gone and signed up with Preston, and he was signed up probably six or seven weeks, and all of a sudden he got a call up to the Irish squad. Now, my point is, nothing major happened in the, the month of six weeks after signing from Preston to get a call up, and all I'm just saying is, wouldn't it be lovely uh, that we got to a situation where there'd always be a few spots open there that, uh, you know, from our own National League, uh, a couple of players would be always in that squad. And it's just to give something back to the league. Shows guys that are breaking their their backs, working hard in training and whatever, that there's a path, there is a pathway for them there. And the pathway doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you have to pack your bags and you have to head across the water to England. And that's why I think the academy structure and a continuity and a consistency from 15, 14, 15 years of age coming through that system into senior football. Now, let us not forget when we talk about the likes of the Noel O'Reilly type. Noel would have been with a club with Belvedere. Uh, and I know, Kevin, you had uh, huge links with Belvedere Football Club in, in the heart of Dublin City as well. Uh, like myself as well with my own son, Sam, uh, who played there too. Uh, they, Noel's before he came into the association, would have basically gone from seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, up to about 10, 11 years of age, giving them the huge fundamentals that is needed in the game of soccer and sport and life skills as well. Uh, and as I said, you would know, know when I mean life skills with Noel, he was, a, he was an all-encompassing uh, type coach. Now, the other thing would be is Noel was a fantastic coach and a really, really brilliant coach who then went on beside Brian Kerr, coach Ireland, uh, the national team. What I'm really saying out of this is a lot of clubs make the mistake that, you know, about the young kids, if you don't get the fundamental, uh, fundamentals and the basics into them by maybe age 12, 13, the window of opportunity thereafter actually closes, Kevin. So, and it, op it opens the up the debate, Paul. Coaches definitely need to be working with your younger kids, you know, going forward. Yeah, I was just going to say that it opens up the debate, which is talked a lot about in America, where your best coaches should be coaching. And the reality is they should, in my opinion, be with the 7, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds and not necessarily with the 14, 15, 16-year-olds because, you know, you only have one chance to give the kids the fundamentals of the game. So I would definitely agree with that. And then just touching on Belvedere Football Club, obviously a fantastic club and the great Wesley Houlihan came from there. And he's a great example of what you were talking about. He didn't go till much later. He ended up playing for Shelburne in the League of Ireland and went on to have a fantastic career and be a fantastic international player for Ireland. So you're making some very, very valid points in terms of you know the structure that should be in place. We also touched there, Paul, briefly on kind of maybe going to England later because you're more physically and mentally developed. And it kind of touches on then the issues with mental health in soccer. Um, you know, where, where are we at with that? And, and is it still a taboo subject? Are we talking enough about it? Is there enough support? Um, it's, it's again, it's very topical, obviously, at the moment. Um, and uh, again, on the mental side of it, Kevin, um, it, was a, it was a story I heard at a conference uh, back in the day. Uh, it was a UEFA conference. Um, and the, the great Dutch coach, uh, Louis van Gaal, who is also, uh, also a former Manchester United manager. There's a lot of former Manchester United managers just recently, but uh, yeah. 
Ruby is another one of them. But I always remember Louis van Gaal. Um, I, I'm saying that as a real Liverpool supporter there, by the way. Um, the uh, we don't be top of the league very much, so we have to milk it, Kevin. Um, <laughs> the uh, the thing about Louis van Gaal at the conference, he stated, and uh, maybe a lot of your listeners would remember, uh, is a smashing player, uh, a Dutch international, Patrick Kluivert, and. I always remember this, and it stuck with me. Um, he talked about uh, Clivert as being 100% physical. Uh, he was 100% tactical uh, in his brain and his mind and whatever. He was very good at working things out in that sense. Uh, but obviously his lifestyle would have been um, not something Louis would have been an admirer of. Um, and the biggest thing Louis Van Hal said mentally in preparation and different things, he was 10%. Uh, so it, it mental side of it, even for a player as great as Patrick Clivert, and he was a super, super talent for anyone that remembers him. Um, and uh, Louis van Gaal was disappointed, though, because he reckoned he could have been an awful lot better than he was. Uh, so and it was the mental side of it that would have uh, been, um, you know, affecting him on the mental side here in Ireland. This is, I suppose, it kicks on, Kevin, from. Um, younger uh, players heading, uh, be it across the water, uh, be it, uh, you know, to England, Scotland, Wales, uh, or even Northern Europe, some players go to as well, Belgium and, and different places and, and have a look there as well. I think the thing about it is, and, and you've been part of those teams as well, and I certainly have back when I played with Home Farm in my schoolboy career, and there was one or two players on the team I played with headed to England at a younger age as you say, the 15, 16, and I know UEFA have brought in stipulations and sanctions on clubs if they go at a younger age and whatever, but obviously, unfortunately, there's always ways to get around those type of things as well. Um, now, my biggest thing would be is that the letdown, Kevin, the letdown, uh, and I know people have, uh, you know, those kids have got asked to go on trials and they go and sign on maybe the old YTS that I'd be more familiar with and different things like that and schemes that they'd get them in and they'd leave, they'd leave, they'd leave Ireland to be at Dublin, Cork, Athlone, Westmeath, Galway, Sligo, wherever they'd come from, Kerry. Oh, the going is fine because obviously the kids are on a high going over. It's the coming home, though, is the mental side of it now and the mad side for me because association uh, and, um, and and again, you know, you don't want to harp on and, and be negative about the, the football association, but there definitely has to be some type of, um, you know, guidance, be it through counselling, uh, be it through, uh, you know, it, it basically... Uh, integrating them back into the football scene in a nice way uh, that is seamless um, where I believe that that doesn't happen to the extent that it should and I, I th I've seen personally, uh, you've experienced it in, in different guises yourself Kevin as well um, that uh, you know that 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 network and that that sort of yeah I would agree with that I've obviously been through it myself and kind of going away you're kind of the, the local like hero and, and it's all uh, kind of positive things and then when you come back whether you didn't make it or through injury there's not really many people ringing you or calling you or, or asking how you're feeling or helping you with a, a new career kind of pathway and um, you know I think it's something that needs to be looked at and I, I think someone probably should be in the FAI you know who has experience of it and maybe they can be a support system um, for the players and um, 
particularly when they come back, because that's where players are most vulnerable. Um, so I definitely agree with you there. Um, Paul, talk a bit about your kind of time in America. I mean, you play, you were a ve- obviously a very talented player yourself before you got into the development aspect of it, but you were in Virginia. How did you find that experience and the facilities and uh, the level of coaching and the quality of player? Yeah, Kevin, it was, um, yeah, no, come here, it was a great experience. Uh, America, um, in fairness, like a lot of Irish America, I have a lot to be thankful for um, by going there because I suppose the positivity one, Kevin, uh, we can be a negative old bunch in Ireland here sometimes as well. Um, you know, we see the negative before we see the positive. Glass sometimes is always half empty in Ireland, whereas in America, I always thought it was half full. Um, so, it definitely, there was great positivity. Uh, the one thing I noticed, obviously, within the, the college system, obviously, the facilities. Now, I suppose people in, in the States listening to this are probably going, oh, we don't have this, we don't have that now. But uh, to compare, compared to what we did have in Ireland in the early 90s uh, and what the States had, uh, to put it in perspective, Kevin, I talked about our uh, National League, um, you know, the SSE, Artricity League, and uh, uh, college uh in college the soccer teams were much more well equipped than our national league here in Ireland so that gives you just some perspective on it um, it was it was fantastic uh, facilities was one uh, the technical ability of the players um, was two um, they sort of didn't I suppose I was bringing a brand of football with me that was um, I had a great grounding in Gaelic football uh, and I would have played a little bit of rugby as well uh, rugby is basically for uh, your American listeners is rugby is 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 American football with no pads. I suppose that's the best way to describe it. Um, so we're a hardy bunch over here as well. Um, but I would have played the both sports, which complemented my soccer. So I noticed that the players I was playing with through the college system were technically really, really good. Um, and as we'd say here, Kevin, and you'd hear this one, they didn't really like a tackle. Um, and I love the tackle. Um, so the five sides uh, were quite fun when the coach would be sort of saying, uh, geez, Paul, just tone it down. And there's a couple of English guys with me who were the same type of who like a tackle. Um, and I did, that was one thing I noticed about American players didn't really like to be ruffled and tackled a little bit because it was nearly like, well, hold on, I have to, I have to, uh, I have to complete my Cruyff turn here and you have to let me do that. Uh, whereas we were, we, as I said, we were loving the tackle. So the coach sort of spent the first sort of three weeks coaching uh or well not coaching talking to myself and the two english guys to you know um you know maybe just tone it down a little bit uh because we're cheesing off our own players so come here that was only a bit of fun a bit of jest at the time but yeah technically they were fantastic players and that was the one thing that's been missing i think from ours and that's why the academy thing as well an irish kid kevin as you know we don't need to get psyched up to go out on a football field we don't need to get you know we don't need to be thumping thumping our chests going out we don't need to be hitting doors and whatever going out on a field because uh, Irish uh, you know the Irish mentality is we're naturally competitive anyway Um, and uh, you know we don't need to be doing all that and I think technically we just have to become a little bit cuter in terms of you know, player production and development now and coaching styles, you know, another big debate is kind of maybe coaches over coaching at times. And, you know, what would your philosophy be in terms of developing players? Obviously, the different age groups require different kind of coaching methods. But what's the general basis of kind of your development uh, ideas and model? 
Well, Kevin, it's a great it's a great question as well because I tell you why it um it's probably a bugbear in mind that sort of stuff as well that I see um it, you you hear the line uh, on on sidelines maybe on a Saturday or Sunday at game day and the coach would be you know maybe remonstrating with some of their players some of his own players or her players on the field and uh, they'd be remonstrating over like what do we do on Tuesday what do we do on Thursday and this would be referring to their training sessions and sometimes a coach. You know, it's not it's it's not great to hear a coach trying to coach on a game day because obviously the kids have enough to be getting on with with the game in hand, uh, and one or two little bits of information is fantastic. Yeah. But I suppose my mantra in a situation like that, and I will develop just a little bit a little bit more, Kevin, if you'd let me as well after what I say now. I I think the game needs to be the teacher. I think the coach, uh, stroke manager, stroke mentor, whoever's on the sideline is a facilitator on game day and what i mean by a facilitator is he or she lets the game help makes subtle changes when needed but never to the detriment of an individual on the field uh, never to ridicule anyone that you know we all step over the white line are we all well in my case at 50 years of age I, when i used to step over the line i never went on a field to make a mistake i always went on to make a difference and I think that's what we need to get back to is let the game be the teacher. Is winning at all costs important? I don't think so if you're trying to develop a club mentality and a club ethos. Because remember, the player that you're looking at might be the player that goes and plays with your Liverpools or your Manchester United or your, your Eindhoven's or your, your Real Madrid in the future. And that's fine too. That's brilliant. Gives the club notoriety. But you know, you're looking at other players playing there you're looking at retainment in the future of these people within your club, be it players, be it they become coaches and be it they become administrators and are running the club in 15 or 20 years time. So I think it's hugely important to let the game be the teacher. Um, it's been fantastic having you on. I mean, you've a wealth of knowledge and experience and I know I've talked to you off air about you being a regular guest and hopefully uh, we can persuade you to do that because there's so much insight you can give to people. But um, listen, thanks very much for coming on and, and have a great Christmas with you and your family. 